0: This is the Education Exchange with Paul Peterson. I am the senior editor of Education Next. Thank you for joining us. Among all big city school systems in the United States, surprising as it may seem, the one that has made the most progress in student performance on the National Assessment of Educational Progress over the past 15 years is the nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Despite the controversies that began with Michelle Rhee's struggles with the teachers' union over two decades ago, and despite the recent controversy with the departure of Antoine Wilson earlier this year, and despite the enormous growth of the charter school sector in D.C., that school system has made remarkable progress. Now, a close case study entitled Transforming Public School Teaching in the Nation's Capital has been released by Future Ed at Georgetown University's McCourt School of Public Policy. I'm pleased today to have the director of Future Ed and the author of the report, Thomas Toke, with me on the Education Exchange. Tom, thank you for joining me today on the Education Exchange.
1: Sure, Paul, happy to join.
0: Well, so, Tom, Michelle Rhee arrived in Washington, D.C. in 2007 with a serious agenda of school reform. And you're telling the story of how that uh, development impacted the school system over the next decade. What happened in the June of of 2007 and the months that followed?
1: Sure. So uh, Adrian Fenty, uh, the mayor of Washington at the time, uh, had sought and received from the city council Uh, control of the the District of Columbia Public Schools, the uh, school system in the city. And his first move was to name Michelle Rhee Chancellor of of the district. Uh, She had been working in Washington, many people don't realize this, for over a decade, in her capacity as the leader of uh, TNTP, then called the New Teacher Project where she had worked closely with the district to recruit and and train
0: new teachers. So one so of the myths, one of the myths about Michelle Rhee is that mm-hmm. she was an innocent walking in a trap and she knew nothing about it. She actually knew a lot about the DC school system before yeah, she became totally chancellor. Did. And,
1: and so did her deputy uh, and then subsequently her her successor is Chancellor Kai Henderson, who also worked at, at TNTP and was directly responsible for the District of Columbia account at TNTP. So uh, they, they went in uh, clear-eyed. And their focus, perhaps not surprisingly, given the work they had been doing and uh, the insights that they had gleaned into the district, was on improving the teaching profession. As, as we all know, research suggests that the quality of of teachers uh, is the most important in-school contributor to student success. So there was logic in in, uh, that strategy. Uh, They believed that, first off, uh, they needed to get a a better accounting of of who was doing a good job in the classroom and who wasn't. Uh, They understood that overall the, the district was performing poorly. Uh, something about like ninety eight percent of the teachers had received positive evaluations under what was an admittedly superficial uh, evaluation system. In fact, when they came in, they could only find evaluations for twenty percent of the teachers. Uh, but uh, they nonetheless uh, believed that that they had to to do get a better uh, fix on on who was doing, uh, well, and, and and who wasn't.
0: So one um, thing they wanted to do was to get a good sense of who were the good teachers in the in the district, and right. then I, I suppose they also then wanted to reward those teachers, right? So and they wanted the, to the get rid of the weak ones, so right? The first thing I yeah.
1: did was to build a teacher evaluation system uh, that was much more meaningful than than the existing system. So what it did was. Uh, establish uh, clear uh, standards for what good teaching were uh, created a common language uh, across the district uh, and a about uh, what what good teaching was and what it looked like and those uh, fact those sort of factors uh, or qualities were incorporated in a rubric that were part of the uh, new evaluation system so it was a multi importantly. Uh, While there was a lot of uh, controversy around the use of student achievement results in in the evaluation, uh, the system that they introduced was was actually a very complex one, uh, a sophisticated one that involved not only student achievement results but also uh, multiple classroom observations by multiple people and other factors which eventually included uh, student surveys. So the idea was to remove the the low performers and reward the high performers which they were able uh, to do uh, by implementing a performance based pay system through a collective bargain a new collective bargaining agreement that
0: was achieved in two thousand and ten. So how did they ever get the teachers union to agree to a bargaining agreement that would allow them to dismiss ineffective teachers and to use student testing to decide who is gonna be an effective teacher or not.
1: Right, well, there's a, there's, the key was that Congress in um, the mid 90s uh, gave control over teacher evaluation uh, then to the, to the school board and then as a result of the shift to mayoral control to the mayor's office and then to the new chancellor. So they, uh, Ree and, and Henderson, and Kaya Henderson was, uh, for the three years that uh, Michelle Ree was chancellor, was, was director of human capital, so she was in charge of, of all of the teacher reform work. So uh, together they were able to build a new evaluation system outside of the collective bargaining agreement. Uh, which was a huge advantage that, uh, that um, you know, many districts don't have.
0: Okay, so um, it was not even in the collective bargaining agreement. This, was gonna, this evaluation system was going to be put into place no matter how the bargaining agreement was being negotiated because this was not – but couldn't they have sued? Couldn't the, couldn't the union have sued and said, you're misinterpreting what the Congress did, and you don't have that authority to do that outside the collective bargaining agreement?
1: Well, it, 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 the answer is either no, they couldn't have, or uh, yes, they thought they uh, it was something to consider, but they learned that it wasn't worth it because ultimately they didn't. And you know, I think that the the, the uh, congressional uh, decree sort of stood, right? Uh, but what they couldn't do was pay people on the basis of of their performance um, without. Approval of the collective bargaining contract, right? Because that dealt with um, wages, hours, and sort of working conditions, right? And so, there, they, Henderson and and Ree and a third person, Jason Cameras, who was instrumental in this work, struck a deal uh, after a great deal of, of contentious uh, negotiation with the teachers' union that. Um, implemented performance-based pay for highly rated teachers in exchange, in effect, for a 20 percent salary increase over five years, three three years of which would be retroactive. So teachers got, and the union was able to deliver to teachers, a substantial pay increase uh, in exchange for performance-based
0: pay. Now. Now, now, one of the things that Michelle uh, explained to to me when, when I visited with her on this topic is, is she said that the key to this was no teacher had to go on to this new pay scale. They could stick with the old pay scale if they wanted to. They just weren't going to get the salary increase. So you could either go on the new scale, get the salary increase, but subject yourself to the... Uh, the possibility that you could get dismissed, uh, or 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 else you could uh, just say, okay, I'll take my old pay and be uh, be happy with that. Is that right. is, is that correct?
1: Uh, yeah, yes, to an extent, to lar- largely, uh, teachers could lose their jobs under the impact, so-called impact teacher evaluation system, um, un- regardless of of whether teachers also bought uh, bought into the performance-based pay model. So what that did was effectively end teacher tenure. Tenure was kept on as a sort of pro forma thing, but it it didn't have any teeth any longer when teachers could be rated uh, ineffective and lose their job uh, at the end of the year. So... um, there, there was a voluntary sort of component to this, and initially a number of teachers, some 40% of the teachers who were rated highly and uh, offered bonuses. So the performance pay system offered both bonuses at the end of the year and then permanent salary increases through a career ladder that was also introduced. Um, but in, uh, initially a, a high percentage of teachers turned down the bonuses because they were so wary of the evaluation system and uh, there was a lot of, of uh, anxiety and anger, um, partly as a, way, as a result of the way Michelle re-rolled this, these systems out, and, and partly because it was just new and radical. But eventually and, uh, more and more teachers took the, uh, availed themselves of the opportunity to get bonuses, which ranged up to $25,000 a year, real money for teachers. Uh, uh, and today almost everybody does. So there's been an evolution in in teachers' attitudes towards these reforms over the ten years since they've been implemented. So this
0: thing uh, this, uh, this uh, essential uh, arrangement is still in place. The evaluation system has evolved, and it isn't quite the same as originally, but the idea that you get evaluated and you get bonuses and you get this much uh, uh, so this significant salary increment, that system is still in place in DC today.
1: Yes, it is. Uh, and, and to the credit of Kaya Henderson and Jason Cameras, who who took over the, the work uh, after Michelle re-left in the fall of 2010, uh, they modified the uh, evaluation system and other components, other reform components, somewhat substantially in response to, to teacher feedback. Uh, initially, uh, under Michelle, there was a strong uh, commitment to to implement reform, regardless of what the teachers or the teacher union representing them um, felt about it. Uh, they they were just very strong-willed about it. Uh, but I think that one of the lessons that that Kaya and others learned was that, that building um, commitment uh, on the part of teachers to reform, give, by giving them uh, a, a seat at the table, in effect by listening to their concerns and responding to them, uh, ended it. Resulted in much more teacher buy-in, which is ultimately critical to the success of these reforms. So there well, are still just, in place, you, but you know, many things have been modified.
0: Yeah, you mentioned the fact that re-resign. Uh, why did she resign? What was what was the event that triggered her resignation?
1: Um, she was very controversial um, because she was laying off large numbers of uh, African American teachers. Um, in the middle of of the worst recession in the nation's history, arguably, in uh, 2008, 2009, 2010. Uh, And uh, Mayor Fenty, who was himself uh, African-American, was blamed for the work that Michelle Rhee was doing. He lost the primary uh, in September of 2010, and she resigned shortly thereafter.
0: So her... Reforms were so controversial, a mayor lost his job over it, and yet those reforms stayed in place. Now, why did—who was Mayor Fenty's successor? Uh, Mayor Gray. Uh, So, Tom, tell me this. Uh, Why was it the case— that uh, the new mayor, Mayor Gray, who had beat Mayor Fenty on the school issue, on this very issue, this very controversial Michelle Ree reform and the dismissal of African American teachers, why does he, the new mayor, appoint a lieutenant of Michelle Rhee, uh, Kaya Henderson, as the new chancellor?
1: Right. Well, first, I think he respected uh, Kaya Henderson greatly. And secondly, uh, he recognized the uh, uh, importance of the reforms that were being implemented, the seriousness with which they were being implemented, and the potential value of the reforms to this city. Um, You know, it's a very difficult Trade-offs that African-American political leaders have to make in, in urban centers uh, in education between uh, uh, African-American adult uh, educators on the one hand and struggling African-American students on the other. Uh, it's, it's not a position that, that I'd want to be in, right? Very tough. Uh, but he uh, made a commitment to the city's students uh, because he believed in the sense that he believed that these reforms would uh, continue to make a, a difference uh, and improve the lot educational lives of the city's children
0: Well has the composition of the teaching force changed? It's racial <laughs> racial composition? A
1: little bit. Uh, there are uh, some more white teachers um, in in the district uh, but it still continues to be a, a predominantly uh, African American teaching force, um, but the research, uh, external research, uh, shows that the quality of the teaching force has improved rather dramatically uh, in the wake of 10 years of reform, reform that built on, on the evaluation system, but, but certainly went far beyond that.
0: Well, D.C. has a great advantage. It is the nation's capital, and everybody wants to live there. Everybody who comes out of Harvard wants to go down to D.C., it seems to me. And that must be true of lots of other very uh, selective institutions. So is it fairly easy to recruit talented teachers in in D.C.?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. It it is certainly a millennial magnet uh, these days. Uh, But as as you said at the top of the show... uh, there is a substantial charter sector here. Uh, some 48 percent of the public school students in the city um, are attending charter schools. There's a total of 90,000 students or so uh, in, in Washington, D.C., in public schools. Uh, and uh, for many years uh, leading up to the implementation of these reforms, uh, char- the charter sector was uh, Picking off, recruiting, stealing uh, the best public school, DCPS public school teachers with impunity, and uh, that has that has changed uh, in part because of um, the view that the the teaching has become uh, a, a higher status job in the district. In part because um, there's been a substantial uh, compensation um, increase. And allowing teachers to earn, in some instances, on a 12-month contract and in low-income uh, communities up to $144,000 a year, and that uh, it has uh, been uh, much harder for charter school leaders, even those they're the best-known and, and best-respected charter management organizations, to uh compete against DCPS. In fact, DCPS has largely stemmed the flow of, of uh, top talent out of the district.
0: Among so the tell me about the student, how I about, say, yeah,
1: change its its uh, recruitment uh, strategy dramatically too, and that made a big difference.
0: Yeah, so how, what's the impact on student enrollment now? Is the district uh, gaining students, uh, both relative to uh, the suburbs and relative to uh, to the charter sector. Do you have any data on that?
1: Yeah, so the enrollment in the District of Columbia, public school enrollment, uh, declined uh, for about 46 years. I'm talking about the District of Columbia uh, public school system, not the charter sector. So the district enrollment uh, declined for over four decades, uh, every year for over four decades. Uh, beginning, I believe, in 2011, uh, enrollment increased five years in a row. Uh, up until this past year, when it was largely flat. Um, at the same time, the charter sector, which uh, was introduced into DC in the mid 90s, has grown steadily. Um, but the the uh, the growth has in the two sectors has has uh, been uh, more equal uh, recently. So DCPS, the the upshot of that is that DCPS has has, um, convinced some number of families that, that its schools are getting better and they are attending the traditional public school system in greater numbers.
0: Well, you know, I started off the uh, discussion by saying that the national assessment shows that the D.C. schools are improving more than any other big city school system, but maybe it's just that you're getting a migration of uh, middle-class families back into the district. Uh,
1: that, it's a good point, uh, and, and that's the kind of sort of nuance we need to understand uh, to, to really uh, pass sort of proper judgment on, on the reform movement in the city. but. Um, the three studies that I've seen suggest that gentrification, if you will, has played some role in the uh, changing or the improving performance of the district. But it's only one of a number of factors, and uh, a couple of the studies suggest, and these, these are by reputable, you know, organizations, uh, independent of the district for sure, uh, have suggested that. Um, Enrollment in, in uh, or performance among uh, students of color from disadvantaged backgrounds uh, have, have increased as well. So it's it's uh, it's an issue, but it's not the defining issue. Reform seems to be, seems to be working.
0: Well, so reform is working now. Uh, who is the hero? I mean, you've been very critical of a lot of these people, and your case, your case study is very balanced. It really shows the pluses and minuses all over the place. But yeah. is there a hero of your story or a heroine?
1: Well, I, I think it's, it's got to be, you know, almost ironically, Michelle Rhee and, and certainly Kaya Henderson and, and uh, maybe Jason Kammeras, the three people who, who are leading the effort, in uh, school reform, but but uh, they, they were undaunted. And um, they, re, they received a tremendous amount of criticism, uh, but persevered. And what people, what many people don't know is that it took an immense amount of, of uh, infrastructure building to create the computer systems and the staffing um, for to support, in the central office, to support reform. When Michelle Reed came in, uh, it, the District of Columbia's central office was a patronage-plagued, ineffective uh, bureaucracy that, that couldn't pay its people on time, uh, that uh, couldn't open school on time. One year uh, school opened three weeks late because uh, contractors couldn't fix holes in, in roofs. I know it's a, there's a long litany of, of of examples of the bureaucratic incompetence, and so so Re and Henderson essentially had to to dismantle a dysfunctional bureaucracy and build a new, better one on top of it. And I should say uh, that many of the people that they brought into leadership positions had started in public education and Teach for America around the country, as as did Kamala Ree and and. Uh, Anderson earlier in their careers. So it's a, that, that's a telling uh, uh, insight, I think.
0: Well, that, that fits in with the title of your report, Tom, uh, Transforming Public School Teaching in the Nation's Capital. This is a new report out uh, by uh, Future Ed, which is at the McCourt School of Public Policy at Georgetown University, where Tom Toke is the director. And uh, thank you, Tom, for joining me today on the Education Exchange. Sure, Paul. It's my pleasure. I am Paul Peterson. This is the Education Exchange. Please join me every Monday at noon when our weekly podcast is released on the Education Next website.